is Redeem the Time, a podcast where we want to look carefully how we walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. I'm your host, Rudy Gonzalez, coming to you from Lubbock, Texas. It's August 12th, another Saturday morning, Redeeming the Time with brothers Malik and Jared. What's going on, bros? What's up? What's up? So we made it back, man. It's been about a month since we've done this. Uh, A lot of things happen, just schedules and just life. So good to be here. I know we're missing Davis. Davis got some yard work. He's got some goats to feed. He's got a girlfriend. Yeah, definitely that's on the table. And Easton's got Easton problems. Beaston's just being a beast somewhere. So it'll be good to have them back if they if they're able to when we do this again. But we got to keep it going. We we've been it's been too long. So we're if we look back um, again, we're back in the book by Daniel Hyde. Grace worth fighting for, recapturing the vision of God's grace and the canons of Dort. Uh, last episode we were on Article six through eleven, where we talked about faith and election. Very very good and very helpful. Awesome to work through. Uh, now we are looking at the tail end of this uh, section on salvation, um, which deals with assurance and reprobation, Articles 12 through 18. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of meat on this uh, bone, a lot, of, a lot of things to work through, a lot of different uh, topics that are heavy for a lot of people, and, uh, and obviously for me, even having these discussions with my children in regards to, you know, in, uh, infants that die, you know, prematurely, uh, different things like that. What well, what happens? What does God do in those situations? And uh, learning how to work through that. And these these are good things for us to wrestle through because, you know, we're talking about uh, Vanguard School of Ministry and coming up, learning, growing in the ministry. And these are questions that we're probably going to um, have to tackle with people that come up into the church and say, "Man, I don't know how to feel about this," and I don't know why did he preach on that or. Or why, why did you say that? And being able to, to define the terms, being able to point back to God and give glory to God and give something of a, a comfort to God's people through these uh, really heavy topics. But um, without, without any further ado, let's get into Article 12. <clears throat> uh, that says, uh, you guys got that ready? Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. <clears throat> yeah, go ahead. The elect in due time. Though in various degrees and in different measures attain the assurance of this their eternal and unchangeable election, not by inquisitively prying into the secret and deep things of God, but by observing in themselves with a spiritual joy and holy pleasure the infallible fruits of election pointed out in the word of God, such as a true faith in Christ, filial fear, a godly sorrow for sin, a hungering and thirsting for righteousness, etc. Awesome. Very thorough. Yeah, these Dort guys were very thorough. Man, I mean, just so many things that they throw in here that you know, even at the first reading, <clears throat> when when I when I look at it, when I go through it, and then as Hyde brings it back in, you know, as a commentary does, and he breaks it down, I'm like, wow, they really did touch on that, especially like uh, when he says the, you know, prying into the secret and deep things of God. To me, that's 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 super helpful because a lot of people that have stress and anxiety over this thing of election they they want to know things that 
really, that's not why we have the doctrine of election, is not to really know those things. I mean, in a sense, yes, we do know those things, but that's not really the really ground of why we have those things. It's supposed to be a comfort that God, we have actually security in Christ. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, something the Puritans were really interested in was this um, science of salvation, so to speak. How is it that you can judge whether a person has received an authentic conversion? And essentially like in Edward's religious affections, he comes to the conclusion that God has given no criteria by which to know a man's heart. He's reserved that solely for himself. But then you look in scripture and you see that a man can have assurance, right? And so it's opened up this debate where we're not allowed to actually truly know for certain the hearts of other people, but God has given us criteria by which we can be introspective and judge judge our own hearts by what you know he's placed in in the scripture right the scriptures that measuring rod and so you know throughout the entire history of of mankind this idea of how do we know how do we know for sure what's next in the life of a christian that question changes to how do i know i'm saved right and that's something that we've argued about forever and ever and ever is this question of assurance so both articles 12 and 13 deal with the issue of assurance because I don't, it's one of those fundamental questions that a Christian has. How do I know that I'm saved? Like what you were saying, uh, we were talking about it th- uh, a while ago about, um, you were talking about the Puritans and how they kind of qualify um, a Christian's love for Christ, you know, as far as uh, his salvation, right? Yeah. So essentially, um, from what I've gleaned over the years without citing any specific works, the the summary in my own mind, and I think this was, this was, uh, R.C. Sproul actually had a very a helpful synopsis of this, was a person can know that they're authentically converted when they have an authentic love for Christ. That's, that's, that's the, that's the idea, right? Like later here in Daniel Hyde's book on 97, um, he brings in this idea of carnal assurance. You have a lot of people today that would swear up and down that they're saved, right? And on the flip side, you have a lot of hyper-Calvinists that would say there's no way for any of us to know if we're saved, including the Christian, right? How do we know that we're truly elect? There's no way to search the mystery of God's mind in that. You know, I could be faithful my entire life and not actually be saved. You know, you have a lot of hyper-Calvinists that go that direction. So on the one hand, you have people that are too confident in their salvation. And on the other hand, even with professing Christians, there's no confidence in salvation. But then we look to the scripture and Paul talks about assurance, that you can have assurance. And so that's where the question is is where does our assurance lie and and what are the the what are the indicators that a person is authentically converted and i and i think going back to the puritans it comes down do we love christ because christ is the prize or do we only love christ as far as he blesses us with those things that come from him alone and you see that I think one of the reasons why God was so pleased to drag the Puritans through death, trial, and tragedy so much during that period of the Reformation is because it really gave the Puritans a better understanding of the origin of their faith. When you had somebody that underwent trials and tribulations to the extent that they did, right? Or even the, the Christians in the early church when, like in the book of Mark, the way the book of Mark is very speedy and the way it gets to the, the point of Jesus, you know, dying on the cross and what he accomplished. Um, 
you had people that were showing up to their church and every week less people were there because somebody had been thrown to the lions you know it can become very difficult to gr hang on to those elements of christianity when it seems like there are no blessings associated with it but when you come out the backside of that trial and tribulation and you see jesus as the prize he is the prize it doesn't matter if i'm drugged through the streets drawn and quartered fed to the lions or all of my children died of a plague if a person comes out the backside of that trial and they love jesus for who he is it's a good indication that God has gifted them an authentic faith. Like you can, it's not something that a person can brag about that they've maintained a faith throughout those trials, but that God's given them a faith that can't be broken because it's a justifying a faith. It's a justifying faith. It's a faith that's not their own. It's one that was given, and that's what's. It's so important in the life of a Christian who's who's seeking assurance to be introspective to the point where where does my loyalty lie? Does it does it lie in the bosom of Christ only to the extent that Christ Christ is giving me good gifts, or if God were to remove every good gift in my life and never give me another good gift here in this world, is Christ good enough as the gift to sustain me unto death? And that if a person can answer that in the affirmative, that I love Christ for who Christ is, regardless of any good things that he gives me after this, man, you can, you can take that assurance to the bank. I think that's a good point, uh, especially the latter part because uh, a lot of people will look at the Puritans or the church fathers or, or whatever it may be, the, the reformers, and say, well, I, d I don't have to go through uh, this vast amount of persecution that they're having to overcome. And so, like, yes, they were able to get through all of that and their faith was still intact because God kept them. But man, my life is so easy. Like, I don't have to go through any of those trials. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so then they get to a point where I'm not having to face any persecution or anything like that. Like my life is, is pretty sweet. And so how, how do I know at that point? Right. So what, what would you say to that? Ask me the question again, because I was processing what you said, but ask me the question. I, I thought you were going someplace, not throwing it back to me at first. So I well, want to make so, sure I answer so it right. the people that are, that are not facing that immense persecution that aren't having to struggle day in and day out just to survive uh because of their faith of christ it, it, like in our right. western civilization They're not being persecuted for being christian yeah yeah in our western civilization we I, we wouldn't we wouldn't know we wouldn't know anything about that right, right. at this point I'm not saying that it could it, you know it could it could definitely happen in the future so what about the christians struggling with assurance that aren't under significant persecution yeah it actually i think it just it makes it far more trivial and sad when they lose their faith <laughs> Right, like, I would agree. Yeah. Like it, it, it actually makes it a much more tragic situation. And they're like, they're they they have housing, they have food, they have clothing, they have everything that they need. But because they don't, you know, let me put it to you this way: um, we know those people in church, yep. right, where a marriage falls apart and God doesn't just answer the the, the question. It doesn't answer the prayer and just automatically piece the marriage back together so they abandon the faith you know what i mean like it's it's sad and it shows how shallow it shows how incredibly shallow christian faith is today visible christian faith not authentic christian faith but you have so many people in the church that don't understand that Christ is the prize. They've been sold a bill of goods that, for instance, Twitter yesterday drove me crazy. There's this new video of a guy in Virginia or something singing. that's singing the anthem of, of the yep. blue collar man, right? Yep. Rich man in Richmond, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't remember what the name of the song was. And I watched this guy post this thing and he said, listen, 
He said just 30 days ago, this man was begging God to help him sober up. So I'm assuming he was an alcoholic. He was down on his luck, had financial hardships. He asked for God to help him sober up. And if God helped him sober up. This guy? Yeah, yeah. If, really? if God helped oh, wow. it, now this is the story. I don't know if this is this is what was this. There was a gentleman saying he knew this man. He'd reached out. It, it, this was a story that was being given about the man, and and he said that this man, the the guy singing the song, right, said that uh, if God, he reached out to the Lord in prayer. If you'd help me sober up, like I'll dedicate my life to you. And then this guy was saying, just thirty days later, after sobering up, like all of his dreams have come true, right? Like now he's a sensation on the internet. Now all I really saw was the normal secular way of saying, if you decide to follow yeah. the Lord, all of uh, you, all Prosperity. of your hopes and dreams Prosperity too gospel. can come true. Is so, it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, what happens for the average person that hears that? They get so. Now I, I don't want to be a gossiper. I'm not sure that that's hundred percent true. And I'm not using names in the event that I'm wrong. But you have a lot of people that go to church, and I've known people like this personally, that say, hey, you've got a lot of burdens. Come to the Lord. He can alleviate these burdens. And then they come and they find out being a Christian actually is very difficult, right? right? And it doesn't fix all your problems, right? Because guess what? God never promised to fix all of our problems. And the death of, when Jesus left, he said, he said, like, gold I don't have, but I, I'll give you my peace. I, I give you peace. I don't have all these physical things to give you. I give you peace. Now, God can give us all of those physical things, but that's not what the Christian walk is about. You know, as he's writing the story of our, our, our human lives, you know, it's you can't have people that misunderstand the point of Christianity. And it's not ultimately happiness. It's faithfulness. Mm. It's holiness. And that's the thing people don't understand. God did not create human beings simply to be happy here, right? Like after the fall, I don't want to get deep into the woods of systematic theology, but that's right now you cannot expect to be a Christian and live the rest of your life eternally fulfilled. We're moving towards a form of eternal fulfillment, right? We're, but the goal should be piety. It should be faithfulness to Jesus Christ, not just looking for the blessings that he can provide. And that's why I kind of use that as my litmus test when I talk to people now, is if they say, well, I'm not sure if I'm saved. It's like, well, tell me about your love for the Lord, you know? And if it comes down to they're willing to throw him out the window because he didn't, he, you know, he didn't, he didn't help make their house payment that month, you know, then maybe we're not dealing with an authentic faith and we can start there. Well, just thinking about what you were saying, like come to the Lord and he'll alleviate all of your problems. The first thing I think about is Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 where he has a, a thorn in his flesh. Yeah. And he prays out to God to take this thorn from his flesh. The thorn was given to him. God says, my grace is sufficient. Yeah, he, he's <laughs> yeah. like a, a messenger Deal of Satan it. to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Um, concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness. Yeah. And, and it doesn't even just pertain to christians that suffer ailments right like this was something that was interesting to edwards it was the whole reason why he wrote his dissertations on revival because he wanted to know how many of these moves towards god are authentic mm. what are the reasons people are moving towards the lord that's something else to look at as well it's like what's happening in the heart and the mind as people are drawing close to the lord what is it that they're actually seeking do they understand what's actually happening to them or are they being drawn to something that's not holy and authentic, right? So uh, you have a lot of people that are drawn to the church 
because the church itself provides some form of camaraderie, right? It provides some sort of brotherhood. It fits some sort of need. There might be something that they're getting out of the church that they then say they attribute to this being the Lord drawing them in, but it could be wholly counterfeit. You know, there may not be anything of actual divine grace in that move towards the Lord. And if there's not an actual move of divine grace in the life of that person changing their heart and their mind and the way they relate to God, then it's it's a fragile foundation that'll collapse the first time somebody chucks a rock at it, right? And that's the thing. Most of the, the Christian public, you know, air quotes here, visible, you know, Christianity today is usually built on an unbiblical foundation it's not actually it's not christian at all it just has a, a basic appearance of it and that's why you know it's it's so important that we have biblical churches that are out there explaining what to actually right. expect you know right. just just on that just on that part uh, it makes me think of of the, the difference between uh justification and sanctification yeah. right so the the you're you're credited you're imputed christ's righteousness and therefore you are justified right but the sanctification is the infusion of grace from god in a process right and so it like in a papist mindset right they would be like oh that's that's the justification yeah that's the justification and and in non-believers lives they'd be like oh that's the justification well and the papist actually even they go towards a physical act of baptism providing that infusion and justification uh, yeah right? yeah they of take course. it even one step further of course. right it's of like course. or even or even i was i was reading the 39 articles last night i've been working through those and um it was talking about super uh super irrigation and so i was looking into that i was like i i never come across this before sounds like you're farming <laughs> and, uh, super pivots and uh they were so uh super super irrigation is um the vol it, article 14 it talks about the voluntary works besides over or above and above god's commandments which they call works of super irrigation uh cannot be taught without arrogancy and impiety for by them men do declare that they do uh, that they do not only render unto God as much as they are bound to do, but that they do more for His sake. Yeah. And and so I was looking into that. I was like, I, I had never really come across this. And it's 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 one of those things where um, it's adding things on to justification. So like a lot of a lot of uh, early early Christianity was like Tertullian uh, talked about this idea of of martyrdom and how it was it was this work of, of super irrigation super irrigation um, by which they they deemed it almost at the same level of like baptism right. it was a baptism of blood yeah right and so just adding these things onto it, in order to say, oh, this is this is why I'm justified. It's always faith plus works, right? Yeah. The natural tendency of a man is to add works to faith, yeah. <laughs> like faith-based righteousness, yeah. right? It's like justification is all about faith, nothing of works, which is why, you know, anything that challenges the imputation of Christ's righteousness and wants to add to that as something necessary for salvation immediately needs to be challenged, right? Which is why I have such a problem with this is off topic, but the new Paul perspective on, on you know, with the NT right stuff is just because it seems like it's a backdoor to 
Catholic doctrine in, in that it's not a righteousness imputed by Christ, but that we're given a righteousness of our own. Any Anywhere you start to mess with the imputed righteousness of Christ and adding anything to it or taking it in a, a humanistic direction, it needs to be immediately challenged. But, you know, to the point of assurance, man, I, like when I think about the history here in Dort, tackling the same part we're still having the same problems to this day because this is this is the natural state of a man right like when we move do you want me to read article 13 um yeah 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 because it's all tied together yeah absolutely Go well for just bef- just Go before ahead. you jump into that uh, i was just thinking about our our liturgy and the assurance of pardon and the assurance of pardon even the assurance of pardon it comes from god's word and it's god's declaration to us right that we can have assurance that our sins have been parted through faith yeah. that we are justified by christ's righteousness 100 percent, he's the prize right exactly. he goes back to it people need to understand he is the prize right now i think that's what he was saying in uh I think it's on page 95. I could be wrong. Um, I'm just looking at the digital version, but it's it's. he says uh, the objective reality of our standing with God is different than our subjective, uh, subjective experience of it. The object of our faith is totally secure, mm-hmm. but our grasping that object may or may not feel so secure at every moment. So I, I, I do think that, uh, yeah, what we're saying it, it, as far as being right with God is, is and that's why... Jesus Christ is our prize. He is He is it. And if you don't love Christ, that there's nothing that is saying like, man, he, you know, he saved me and, and there's nothing I contributed to anything. Yeah. There are other things that come along with that. Beaky talks about it. You know, I mean, you're going to have, if you truly love Christ, you're going to have a genuine love of the saints. You're going to have a genuine love of the church. So you can expand on that. Look out if someone's having problems. I think Beaky tells the story about a man that had a very he was i think he was an elder or something that had a very strange lapse of assurance towards the end of his life and really just didn't think he was saved and so they started walking him through those points you know and, and he he couldn't he couldn't affirm that he really had any of them except for he loved the church or he loved the saints and Beaky was able to use that if i'm getting the story right to 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 walk this man back into assurance and this man was able he even Beaky called it a, it was a very bizarre and rare circumstance but a man had lost all assurance somehow mm-hmm. right and Beaky was able to walk him back through and when this man was like no I really do love the church it's like you can't you can't really be saved and not love the church you know it's like well and that that also brings to mind like how do you qualify it because there's sometimes there's going to be progress in the in the faith you know right. where we're where we do have growing uh um, increasing growth of that love and affection for Christ and his people right and for the lost but then sometimes maybe there's a bout of depression let's just bring that to the table and then all of a sudden you know now that's or pharmaceutical induced sure issues today I mean, right. the way they were everybody's popping pills and being yeah and then know? you get taken in a different direction and, and not necessarily that that is diminished completely but it's now it's at a very low state and now you feel like man now you're wrestling with election because you're like is is those things because now you're qualifying your um your your objective standing with christ or with god being being secure in christ now with am i doing these things right. or my these things being exhibited in my life and i think that 
you know, you just because it's all different stages and, and we can look at brother over here and say brother over here. He's thriving in the Christian faith. Right. Yeah. But I think that goes along with what he was talking about in Second Peter. And um, I don't, we don't have to break open the text, but if these things will be ever increasing in, in you if you are. Um, I think it was Second Peter 1, 5 through 7. Yeah, it says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Excellent. And then, you know, all that, um, I think if, if those things are happening, then yes, you won't be unfruitful in that way. Yeah, and usually the person that... that you, you'll find that... Authentic Christians are not careless, right? And this is another point that Hyde makes. He, this idea of true assurance versus carnal assurance that he goes into, I think, on page 97. Um, I, don't, I don't know that... I don't know in Dort that the word carnal assurance is used in those... It's like carelessness, I think, is what... Ca- okay, carelessness, okay. So, yeah, so he Hyde says, Carnal assurance leads to carelessness, not carefulness. Carnal assurance leads to complacency, not zealotry. True, true spiritual, that is, spirit-created assurance, on the contrary, gives us an even greater cause for godliness. And I think that oftentimes it's scarier... Here's the thing. When the issue of assurance is coming up, I'm more terrified of the Christian that never, ever questions their salvation. Mm. Than a Christian, than somebody that professes to be a Christian that is questioning their salvation. The questioning of the salvation is not necessarily the problem. If someone's being careful, hopefully they're going to look at their life and analyze it to see if they're lying to themselves, right? Even um, Sproul, Paul, Paul exhorts us to, yeah, Paul, right? uh, examine ourselves. Sproul tells an obscure story one time. Uh, I don't remember where, but he was walking past a mirror and he caught a glimpse of himself and he. He just looked at himself and he said, "What if, what if you've been lying to yourself your entire life?" And you're, you know, like those are that's going to happen to a man that's not careless. To men that are careful, hope we're going to analyze and put ourselves up against this rubric, this metric that we've been measuring everything up against forever. We have to do that to ourselves. But the thing is, Paul talks about assurance. The Bible talks about assurance. We can have assurance, and that's essentially here. At least one clue is going to be that. Uh, uh, true, true, authentic assurance will not breed a spirit of carelessness. And before we go to Article 13, really, just for the believer who might struggle with it, or, or for um, just as a statement, I mean, from the scripture that uh, this was so helpful, and it's just so uh, you might miss it if you read through Second Peter chapter one, but it's right there in the beginning. Um, after Simon uh, Simon Peter introduces himself as a servant and an apostle of Christ, he says to those who have to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. So just in that one verse, to those who have, who have obtained a faith of equal standing, to me, man, that that was like boom. You believe on you believe on Christ. You put your faith on Christ. You have an equal standing, just as these apostles here. Yeah. You know, and and how much in these religious <laughs> systems we, we just we elevate these other people over here, that that you know they they made it. We got to work our ways to get to get to that place. They have the same imputation. You know? Same mm-hmm. imputation. Same imputation. 
that's where you know yeah your theology matters and all this stuff well yeah and all these other places it's the faith generated by that individual that's praised and what the apostles did that was different is that there was nothing of them that they boasted about this was fa- this was a faith that was foreign and given right yeah. and so like that's you know what i mean so like in all these other religions like Look how amazing that dude is and what he's been able to generate. And the apostles are like, whoa, we didn't generate any of this. It's the same faith you're given. Like, we're just a bunch of scum. <laughs> you know? Yeah, man. That's, that's, that's great. Do you want me to read 13? Yeah, please. The sense and certainty of this election afford to the children of God additional matter for daily humiliation before him, for adoring the depth of his mercies, for cleansing themselves and rendering grateful returns of ardent love to him, who first manifested so great love towards them, the consideration of this doctrine of election is so far from encouraging remissness in the observance of divine commands or from sinking men in carnal security that these, in the just judgment of God, are the usual effects of rash presumption or of idle and wanton trifling with the grace of election in those who refuse to walk in the ways of the elect, which I think because it's so heavily related to 12 I think a lot of our conversation was so is it cage phase or cage stage cage stage <laughs> <laughs> I was like cage phase cage stage yeah they're, they, it sounds like they invented it you know I have an Arminian friend who always uses this uh, you know he, he's like I don't know about all this Calvinism stuff and to be quite honest he's not he's just not interested he's not somebody that likes to just study theology his his argument is there are good scholars on both sides who am i to get in the way of the argument you know uh but he always brings up this one friend that he had and he always he's like yeah this friend he was always talking about calvinism and uh (laughs) and then i was like well where's he at now are you still friends with him he's like no he's in jail because he robbed a bank you know and it's like it's you know like i'm trying to you try to navigate those conversations it's like well that's not a good representation of calvinism You know, this is a man who obviously had some form of carnal assurance, right? Like, uh, you know, it's he, he, he was committed a heist. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, he robbed a bank and he went to jail. You know, he's like, was he predestined to do that? And I was like, well, in a sense, it was oh it was foreordained. Yes. But, you know, it's funny because, <laughs> you know, I'll try to explain it. Yeah, it's like, hey, if God has the power, if God knows something's going to come to pass, he has the power to stop it. He chooses not to. It has, by definition, been foreordained. Right. You know, it's like uh you try to navigate these waters and that's what's funny podcasts like this people that are of like mind yes it's one thing to hash these things out and be like those are solid points but it's another to try to explain it to a friend that then wants to bring up the calvinist that robbed a bank you know what i mean then you're indifferent now now you're having a real world conversation trying to make sure that everybody's on the same page yeah let's judge um god because of this faulty calvinist over yeah, here it's like <laughs> Um, I was reading from uh, uh, this book, uh, Saving the Reformation, the Pastoral Theology of the Canons of Dort. Really good. Um, I use it kind of as I go through this one uh, by Robert Godfrey. He says, this doctrine of election and meditation on it are far from making the children of God slack in observing the commandments of God or making them carnally secure. Rather, such slackness and carnal security are usually found in those who do not want to walk in the ways of the elect. Such people either rashly presume on the grace of election or chat about it in an idle and shameless manner. Um, And basically getting to that point in that article 13 saying encouraging remissness, which is either neglect or uh, just being lax in observing uh, what God teaches us to to be about. 
his you know the commands um and so that carnal assurance it results in that you know you're just kind of just you know we've been talking about it being complacent well in it i think today um probably the perfect example of carnal assurance would be lordship salvation you have people that are willing to accept the fact that jesus christ is savior but they absolutely refuse to accept the fact that he is Lord, right? There's no obedience. There's no desire for obedience there. I used to, I had a, you know, because I've been doing various forms of ministry for 18 to 20 years. There was a teenager that I dealt with one time that um, was sleeping with a different girl every night, essentially, in college. And I was like, dude, you can't, like, <laughs> you know, it's like church discipline time, right? We're, having, we're, we're fixing to hash this out. And he's like, no, 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 no. When I started questioning his salvation, he's like, no, 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 you don't get me. Like, I know exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is Savior, man. Jesus is my Savior. But, you know, I just, ah, I'm not going to be obedient. You know, and here you have, a, you, have a, you have somebody that says Jesus is Savior, but he's not my Lord. There's no desire for obedience. There's no authentic love to Christ or the commands that Christ has given. And uh, you, you have somebody that that's talking about grace but doesn't know anything of grace, right? And that's a lot of times what you get with with carnal assurance is uh, grace, 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 love, love, love. How often do we hear that today? And they don't know a single thing about it. They haven't experienced it. Well, and that's one of, the, that's one of those things that's like, Christianity, while it is a very philosophical uh, religion, it's not strictly philosophical. It's not enough to have a philosophical understanding of who Jesus was uh, or even, you know, certain passages of the Bible. Like, there's there's the spiritual aspect where God, uh, by his spirit, has to do a work in you. Yeah, I think my one of my favorite definitions of grace is, uh, is Edwards. Um, Edwards talks about how grace, true grace, is an act of divine communication from God's mind to ours. That that doesn't not to be confused with some form of new special revelation. But when it when a human who doesn't understand Scripture is reading Scripture and all of a sudden understands what the Bible's saying, how did that happen? Right. Well, the voice of God spoke. To exactly. Yeah. There, there is a, there is a, there is a, an aspect in which God is, 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 is communicating His mind to your mind. Right. There, you have grace, and it's impossible to walk away from a divine act of grace unchanged. Yeah. For yeah. Amen. Yep. <laughs> There's nothing really more to say <laughs> than that. Amen. Um, I was thinking we're at about. 36 minutes here let's let's cover article 14 uh right now and then we will save 15 because that's where we go into reprobation that's and good. all these other things and we'll wrap up with 14 so malik if you'd read you us, get to read the long one dude. yeah that's thank you one. guys for saving this one for you're me. welcome yes, sir. as the doctrine of divine election by the most wise counsel of god was declared by the prophets by christ himself and by the apostles and is clearly revealed in Scripture, both the old, most both of the Old and New Testament. So it is still to be published in due time and place in the Church of God, for which it was peculiarly designed, provided it be done with reverence, in the spirit of discer- uh, discretion and piety, for the glory of God's most holy name, and for in in enlivening and comforting his people without vainly attempting to investigate the secret ways of the most high for i have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of god 
Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, and who hath been his counselor? For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according to, uh, accordingly, according as God hath dealt with every man the measure of faith, wherein God willing more abundantly to shew unto the heirs of promise the immutable the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie we might have a strong consolation who have fled from for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us excellent this one's fitting man because this one gets into you know should we even talk about this um, should it be preached in the church um, and the answer is a resounding yes um, but it has to be done in a particular way right so we're talking about in a godly and a reverential way um, and also you know is this but but is it biblical to do it absolutely um, you know I love what it says that in, in the what John Calvin said in the Institutes that he would say he had to go out of his way to state that preachers should no less preach on the deity of the Son, the deity of the Holy Spirit, or the creation of the universe than on predestination. Um, the question is, is you know, how do we do this? Um, well, I like how it's set up in a sense, you know, where you you don't. In a sense, you don't really hammer in on these things initially. That's just not how the scriptures are laid out. <laughs> you know, when we talk about, you know, there, there's like a system. I think he broke it down in Romans 9, how this thing kind of, we get that election as a comfort later down the road, but we have to deal with all the other issues first. Yeah. So I just think in that way, it's not, it's not entirely like, you know, we're hammering on predestination or election, you know, right off the bat and just constantly hammering on predestination and election. But I think that it does have a fitting place to be preached on because this will uh, magnify God and his grace and um, and really show us something of this mercy that we have. Well, and sometimes we have to help people understand why it's important. So in my experience in the church over the years when there's a series that involves the teaching of predestination whether it's a wednesday night class on romans or a you know a you know the doctrines of grace on sundays or something to that effect you'll have people that aren't naturally curious and they're not theologically minded right they're not particularly interested in going super deep theologically and so when they encounter this, maybe it frustrates them because they don't know to, how to navigate the subject. You know, they, they hear what the pastor's saying, but they're not sure what they think about it. And they're not particularly interested in investing the amount of energy that is required to do a thorough investigation biblically for themselves. So, you know, I've always I've found it helpful to try to just, you know, if, if the question comes up, why is this important? Why are we spending time on it? You know, just ask them the question. Does it matter how God saves people? Does it matter? 
Uh, well, yes. You know, if they say no, then you've got infinite amount of room to work with. <laughs> right? It's like, because it's like, are you kidding me? Right. What do you mean it's not important? He has a way in which he's chosen to do it. Is that important to understand if he's revealed it? Most of the time people will say yes. And it's like, so our role in that is also important to understand, right? Well, yeah. I mean, if we're capable of doing something to earn it, we need to know that. If we're not capable of doing anything to earn it, we need to know that. If God's chosen to save people a specific way, we need to understand what it is he's revealed about that because what else could be more important than how God saves people, right? Like, I mean, it's when we're dealing with eternal matters of, of heaven and hell and eternal punishment and eternal blessing, so if you can if you can just narrow narrow it down for the layman why is this important and why should I pay attention and, and learn its application then you, you you can have a lot of headway and with with the folks at Dort they absolutely understood this these were doctrines worth fighting for because the the entire premise of, of, of the synod here was how does God save people right this is how we, we how does God save people? Man, so, okay, yeah. yeah no. I, I, thought, I, I, I was looking at, I was, I looked up, and I was like, "Man, he's throwing a question at me." Um, <laughs> no, but I was thinking exactly what you were saying. Like, we don't shy away. That's what the article teaches. We don't shy from these things, but yet we don't go to places that God doesn't go in the, what's been revealed. Right? Yeah. So Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. See, uh, the remonstrants on page 102, they, they were making the claim, and the quote is this, by its very nature, talking about predestination, by yeah. its very nature and tendency, it draws the minds of people away from godliness and religion. <laughs> it's an opiate of the flesh and the devil, and is a stronghold of Satan where he lies in wait for all people, wounds most of them, fatally pierces many of them with arrows of both despair and self-assurance. So they actually turn Jeez. the idea of predestination <laughs> into this idea that to teach predestination is to lead people away from godliness not towards godliness and that's one of the reasons why it had to be challenged because it's such a biblical doctrine you know i think once again i'm going to reference rc Sproul. people are going to be like man this dude's an rc Sproul fanboy <laughs> yes i am very much so uh but rc Sproul, he he talked about that idea that predestination is biblical terminology there's not one aspect of the debate out there in the church uh, on predestination that doesn't involve biblical terminology. The question is, how does that process work? The Bible talks about it. The question is, how does it work? And that's where the argument is. The argument is not, does it exist or does it not exist? It absolutely exists. No one argues that. The question is how. You know, and that's where the Arminians come in. They believe in predestination. They just believe we have a lot more to do with it in this weird middle knowledge, you know, argument, right? That God looks off into the corridors of time, which we've already addressed in the other articles, and he knows who would choose, and those are the ones that are predestined. No one's arguing that predestination is, is or is not a thing. It's biblical language. And so... Uh, when it comes to the remonstrants taking that language, they're not saying it doesn't exist. They're just saying that the Calvinistic, inter well, it wasn't a the Calvinistic interpretation, wasn't necessarily the terminology that they would use, but that that Calvinistic interpretation was actually leading people into sin, right? And it's just like you can't you can't be further from the truth. Yeah, what a misrepresentation for sure. Um, yeah, I love I love uh, how he he gets into it. You know, in this one, talking about, and we've kind of discussed this, but basically, you know, uh, how we do it and all this, you know, from God to, to glorify God, 
uh, you know, with reverence. So being humble about it. This is these are things, you know, but it, but ultimately has a goal, right? To glorify God and to comfort people. And I love how he brings it. He ties in at the end. It kind of was almost like an aside. I didn't really see how it tied in, but I'm kind of glad he brought it up by talking about evangelism. Um, again, a good point, a good point to talk about, you know, why evangelize if God's got it all under wraps, you know, if he's predestined those that he's going to save, why do, why do we, it brings up the, the, the question and some people haven't wrestled with this. Some people might even think about it, but why evangelize if God is already predestined? And I just liken it to like, I mean, immediately I thought of uh, that message that Brad gave, you know, dead men you know, dead men float, you know, or what was it called? Do you remember Malik? Dead men don't float, don't float. Dead men don't float. You know, they're not, they're dead. And this is the means by which God, this is, you know, the gospel is the means and we, we get to participate in this. And I just think like, you know, to not do that is to basically turn our back on what God has commanded us to do. Yeah. The more you preach, the more you street preach, the more you evangelize, the more you see who God has called. <laughs> right? That's just it. That's the means he's chosen. In the same way that he's foreordained salvation to people, he's foreordained the means in which he draws them to salvation. Yeah. And oftentimes, I mean, we, we see this from, you know, how it's usually preaching. That's the mechanism he's chosen. Right? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they hear without a preacher? That's the mechanism he's chosen. It's, yeah. you know, so you go out there and, you, you know, once again, too, it's like, Preaching isn't just to save people. God also uses it to harden people. You see that the way the mm-hmm. crowds would split, right? Like Paul would go out, address a crowd. Some of them would get saved. Some of them would try to kill him, right? Like God does a thing where he hardens hearts and he softens others. And we don't have to compromise the message of the gospel because the gospel is, according to Romans 1, God's power to save. It's always been God's power to save. We don't get to we don't get to use that power indiscriminately. It's not ours to wield. We go out and we, we preach the message that God has given us, right? And about Christ and through the revelation of scripture, and we see who God is saving. Mm-hmm. And that's where the church gets it so backwards today, is they feel like if we just change it and make it more palatable, more people will want to accept Christ. And for the reformed pastor, right, what's what's the deal? Now I'm just going to go out and preach an, an unadulterated biblical gospel, and we'll see who God's saving. That's it. That's, well, yeah. and I was I was listening exactly. to our pastor, uh, Ryan Denton, about his book, Even If None. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about this whole concept of going out and, and a lot of people say, even if one, even if one person comes to faith, it's worth it. And, and he was saying in, in the interview as well as in his book, no, even if none come to faith, it's worth it. It's worth it because God is still glorified. It's, it's not it's it's because we aren't the ones that change people's hearts. So we are planting those seeds and God is either uses it for salvation or he uses it as as a means of judgment. But then you upon so, the unbeliever. Then you sometimes have the guys that say, "Well, I'm going to go out and I'm going to harden everyone." <laughs> <laughs> but still, think about it. Like, like but you're right. No, God, God draws a line with a crooked stick, right? So somebody goes out there and they're going to harden everybody, and and they're preaching this hellfire and brimstone. But still, somebody is convicted of sin that way. Like, we, like we never know. And that's that's the thing with with 
uh, our reformed understanding and going out to evangelize it's like why go out to evangelize if you're not reformed yeah because 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 my words really mean nothing so why go out and evangelize if 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 i please want to to, please want to guys if if i have to change the heart of the person on the street i'm unable I, i can't do it but god can and so we have it's one of those things of assurance we have assurance in god's word that if we go out and preach faithfully that he will bring his people to himself. Yeah, and 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 you know that's something that's uh, you know the whole pastoral ministry class that we're all doing. You know the the emphasis on prayer prior to that. How much time are we spending praying that God will give us souls? A lot of times there's a lot of there's a lot of preaching without a lot of prayer for souls as well. It's like preaching is a form of duty, but without a heart that's actually weeping for the lost. Yeah. And and what separates the apostles and their ministry and the amount that were converted from many other ministries is probably the amount of prayer and that's convicting i say that preaching to myself right because i've done a lot of i've done street preaching i've done preaching you know and i'll i'll pray you know through the process but you know i i've god's never given me I've, i've never really experienced that heart of a godly street preacher that is weeping his eyes out for the loss. I don't know what that feels like. And I say that sort of vulnerable because I'm like, do you ever hear the story of George Whitfield? And he's like, he's like, um, what did he say? He said, if you won't weep for your sins, George Whitfield will. And he just goes, <laughs> yeah. he hangs his head back and just starts weeping like a baby. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow. And, and you know, sometimes, yeah, man, you could be so, I mean, at least it, it's happened for me but not all you know not all the time but sometimes yeah you get that there, reality there'll be like in. people you know every yeah. now and then like a specific person you're really praying for and you feel it but you, you see these god these godly street preachers over the years and pastors they've really they've set a bar and it's something to aspire to like lord what am i missing here you know give me the grace that i might feel the same for the <laughs> loss that that you do and that they do One of the things that I was really convicted of whenever I first started evangelizing was at the beginning, I was trying to win the debate. Yeah. Right. Like I'm trying I'm trying to hit hit all of the punchlines in order to the the gotcha moments. Mm -hmm. Right. And I got convicted of that. And I was like, through the word of through the word of God, obviously, and by the Holy Spirit, I, I was like, man, it's not about winning the debate. It's about planting seeds to win them to Christ. And I can't win them to Christ, obviously, but 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 God will if they are his people. That's what I that's what I always loved about watching all the, the Ray Comfort videos on YouTube. Is is he was <laughs> and there you know, I know there are a lot of people that don't like that method. I'm not getting into whether that method's right or wrong. But I, I did kind of love the fact that Ray would always just confront people with the law. And oftentimes it was just, it was almost every time it was like, aha, you know, it's like you're confronted with the law, you know, and, you know, and it's like, yeah, you're right. It's street preaching takes on a lot of different forms. It's very difficult. I think for myself, the, there was a certain liberation of mind when in the process of my reformation, where I realized my job isn't to find a way to deliver the gospel in a more palatable way it's just to give the gospel yep and be just, faithful in it that's yep. it i don't i don't have to like figure out how to do this uh better you don't got to water it down right <laughs> yeah i need to i need to know how to do it well 
but I don't have to. In, in the spirit of American exceptionalism, I'm not trying to improve on this. Yeah, <laughs> you don't. You don't have to try to impress the people walking yes. by. You just got to give them the message of the gospel and trust <laughs> yeah. in God. Yeah, that's it. It's still scary though. The idea of street preaching is it terrifies me every time. First time I went, uh, a friend of mine, dear brother uh, Jeremiah, he's like, "Hey man, we're gonna go to the DMV, the MVD in Arizona." He's like, okay, I'm gonna. We, we prayed in the car. He's and we showed up. I didn't even, you know. He said we we're gonna go on the MVD, and then we pulled up. He says, all right, let's pray. And then uh, he's like, all right, now you pass out tracks, and I'm gonna start preaching. And I was like, what the heck is going on? You know, like, and there was a big line to get into the entrance. And I thought, man, this guy's crazy. I'll never do this. This is wild. But I was just passing out tracks, and he starts preaching. And then later on. He started taking me out to Mill Avenue, and we started going out preaching there. And or he would preach, and I would just sit there and pass out tracks and observe and all this. And then I went to the Ambassadors Academy and uh, for Living Waters down there in Huntington Beach and yeah. all that stuff. And um, if anything that I appreciate about, uh, you know, I, I I mean I greatly appreciate the ministry of Ray Comfort and all those guys. Man, is that they just kind of they just kind of they just help you get out there, and, yeah. and once you get out there, it's like you realize, hey, this isn't this isn't bad. It's this so bad. you know, most people really do want to talk, and uh, you know, and, and then yeah, it's funny, you know, because I don't I don't do it to a T, but I do find myself incorporating law and you know you know because he he would say like uh, the Puritans uh, would preach ninety percent law, ten percent grace. You know, and you know, and I tell my kids we're actually going through this book on the gospel and talking about how um, you can't appreciate the good news unless you understand the bad news. Yeah. So we we always talk about you know why why Christ looks so glorious and so beautiful is because it's the backdrop of our sin that makes him look that way. Yeah. You know that makes makes us our eyes open to the fact that what he's done and you know in light of redemptive history and all these things you could tie it all in. But yeah, ultimately when I go out there and now preach the gospel. It's more about like, man, this is an opportunity to preach. So I'm thinking about like what I'm gonna what I'm gonna talk about. You know, I can I can bring in all these different scriptures. So it's like I, I'm almost like sermon prep. I'm like thinking about like all these different things I can talk about now. And you can talk about a wide range of things. You can just get up on the box and go for hours. Yeah, I'm just gonna memorize sinners in the hands of an angry. Man. Yeah, there you go. Just just bring it <laughs> just every even, every just time. Read it. Just, just read it. Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember my friend Marcus, who I do another podcast with. When he brought me out, and he would just go out to mill, and he's like, "Man, just read this part in Revelation. They'll really like that." And I was like, "Okay." And I just sit there on the megaphone, re reading it, you know, and it's talking about just, you know, judgment, hell, and all these things. And uh, but yeah, it's it is it is a it's more of a it's such a comfort to know that you know this you know we could trust in the sovereignty of God because when I go out now, as opposed to when I for those first times going out early on I would think man this it all relies on me and I and I had restless nights how does how does Ryan do it does he just wing it or does he kind of do prep for street preaching sometimes I think he's been doing it for so long man I think it's he's just, just he's got up. he's got a bunch of and at Texas at Texas Tech it's always a chaotic crowd of interjections and he's got a full accusations man. and yeah I would imagine that a place like up. Tech you couldn't really prepare you just have to meet the crowd yeah and, and, and that's the thing though yeah the more you you're out there doing it all the time he gets that's that's what helped me man is like you get so many questions and and to your point, you know, trying to win debates, it wasn't, it, there was that aspect too that, yeah, there was conviction there, but also um, all the different arguments and all the different things 
man, what did that? What does that do? That it's, it's that takes you back to your study, mm-hmm. back to prayer, back to like, uh, well, I'll look into that because I don't know, and I get stumped all the yep. time. Yep. And that's just, I always tell people like evangelism is like a means of grace. God gives it to his people. I think it's more or less, it just gives us more of insight of like, wow, we're seeing it live action, people's hostility towards God. And we're seeing, you know, like I tell people the veracity of the scriptures is seeing that you're walking away from this gospel message indifferent, Yep. you know, yeah. and you can just continue to go your way. It's Romans one on display. Yep, Ephesians 2, following the course of this world, you know, yep. you're dead in your sin. Dead in trespasses and sins. Yeah. It's But it's God that makes you alive. Yep. And that's, and that's where, what we trust in. And that's ultimately, man, we're, we're going out and preaching. It's like, wow. Like, I tell like, if you responded, it's a miracle. I remember Paul Washer saying, you know, the the the, the salvation of us, of the conversion of us, of, uh, of, a, of a man or woman is more powerful than the six days of creation. And I just think like, you know, the more you understand our state and the more you understand what God does in conversion, taking a hardened sinful man and giving him a heart of flesh, it's a, it's, and, then, and then causing him to love him and walk in his ways. It's kind of, it is mind blowing. You, you think about the story that God's writing you're like, as an author, I wouldn't have written this story this way. This is far superior. <laughs> and then you start thinking about the immense weight, uh, you know, and pressure and complications with being in ministry. And then there's just a point where, you know, even me today, I start to freak out thinking about what the future looks like. And I'm like, I'm just going to go play video games. <laughs> <laughs> it's well, like, you- I'm just going to wait and play video games till I die. That's going to be so much easier. <laughs> you know, like everything else seems so hard. I don't understand what God's doing, but... No, it's, it's good. It's good that, you know, what's cool is that God cares enough that he doesn't, we don't understand everything that's going on, but he, he chooses to bring us in, allows us to participate, um, helps us participate and shares the rewards. You know, it's crazy. Yeah. That burden to want to participate. That's something that God does in his, in his elect, you know, where we, we can't sit around idle. You know, we get the conviction to, to like, you know, and he kind of hems us in. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, where else are we going to go, Lord? You know, you have the words of eternal life. You know, we're we're yours. And we can't ultimately just say, I mean, there's days, yeah, where I just retreat. And I'm like, man, I just need to turn off. You know, my brain just overload, you know, or, or pressures of life or different things that we go through. And so there's there are ebbs and flows of certain things. But I think the more we grow and we talk about that second Peter, you know, that we wouldn't be unfruitful. I mean, I think that the more we seek the things of God, the more we're about the things of God, of course, we're going to walk in these things. And it's not going to be a, not a, a more so a duty, but a delight. Something. Yeah. Edwards used to pray frequently. And I, maybe this is a good quote to start ending it on is stamp eternity on my eyeballs, right? That's what he would ask the Lord to do that. Everything that he looked at, he would look at through the lens of eternity as, as God looked at it. You know, we see things so here and now and temporal and, we can't see far into the future at all. And even when we try, we, we're usually wrong, you know, but God's doing something with a perfect vision, you know, of what he's moving towards. There's no way he won't accomplish it. And Edwards just prayed stamp eternity on my eyeballs. That way, every decision that he made was made in light of those eternal ramifications. And I, I find myself just kind of adding that into my prayer as well. It's like, I, I think that's the only way you can make decisions that glorify God is when you make them in light of eternity, you know? Well, that's a wrap, fellas. It's a wrap. 
So we're going to come back into this book next episode and try to wrap up this chapter, really, um, or the last remaining articles, uh, 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, getting into reprobation. So we'll start it. We'll kick it off with reprobation. And again, that's a that's a heavy hitter, man, because we're talking about the glories of election. And that can only mean that. There are some that God passes by. 17 is so interesting to me. I, we, I've got so many pet peeves on the way we try to defend God that I can't wait for 17 just because I have a lot to say. Not so, that it's important, but I have a lot to say. <laughs> Not that anybody wants to listen, but I have a lot to say. Really interesting things, you know? Yeah, infants versus the age of reason, different things looking at that. Yeah, I remember... Age of accountability now gets thrown around. Where's that found? Well, guess what? It comes out of this, right? You know? Yeah, we were anyway. just talking about that. I think I'm a thread. Anyway, let's just jump into 17 right now. Yeah, no, let's no. do it. <laughs> let's get 15, 16. Anyway. Yeah, this could be a mega episode. All right. All right, guys. Thanks for redeeming the time. God bless. Peace. Peace. When it comes to God, people praising for blessings. The land is in the famine. Amos 8 and 11. It's not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord God the Father. And that's a scary thing to not hear His word, to not hear His voice. Even in the church, we living in a day where we don't believe in Jesus. Not the one of the scriptures, we just even teach us. They got itching ears, but I ain't the one to scratch them. Yes, I'm a rapper. But no, I am not just rapping. Uh-huh. Satan wants to distract him. Get him caught up in fashion. Let him cash in. Then go to hell with us, weeping and gnashing. I'm in the wilderness. Uh-huh. You know I'm crying out. I'm warning people that snakes in the church hiding out. Paul said, call him out. So I call him out. I let the word divide. Truth will haul him out. You can search all around the world. Going from churches to mega churches. You never catch them trusting Christ alone, they never rest, they just keep on working. You can expose the lies, you can expose these guys, but see these pastors, they won't examine. And you can look for truth, but never find the truth, you won't be able, cause it's a famine. So many people blind, they can't see They in the church building but lack understanding And they lack discernment, look at the pastor's sermons I'm thinking it's about time we draw back the curtains And look at the worship, looks like they at a circus Vain worship, every week it's the same service And the main purpose is purpose-driven life The pastor preaching health and wealth so he living nice But the people broke the people poor, but the people stay cause money they seeking for. First Timothy 6 says they need to withdraw. The pastor in the pulpit, he just seeking applause. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And Paul said through Christ, I can do all things. The people broke, but the pastor can drive a phantom. You still not understanding? The land is in a famine. You can search all around the world, going from churches to mega churches. You never catch them trusting Christ alone, they never rest, they just keep on working. You can expose the lies, you can expose these guys, but see these pastors, they won't examine. And you can look for truth, but never find the truth, you won't be able, cause it's a famine, it's a famine. 
hypocrisy uh-huh. and apostasy. Uh-huh. It's nothing new, it's all just biblical prophecy. True. New philosophies, you can call them Socrates. It's nothing new, it's all just biblical prophecies. Yeah. Paul told us sound doctrine they won't endure. Uh-huh. Titus 115 to them, nothing is pure. They say don't put your mouth on another man because it's judging. Yeah. So if you preach the truth, you'll be labeled a loving. Uh-huh. Spurgeon, Luther, and Calvin would have a heart attack if they could live here today in the States and hear all of that. We in the last days, perilous times shall come. So when it comes to false doctrine, we need to run. Men love themselves, covetous, boasters, proud. Blasphemous, disobeying their parents, wow. It's a spiritual famine, we need nourishment. But Christ sheep, hear his voice, it's encouraging. You can search all around the world, going from churches to mega churches. You never catch them trusting Christ alone. They never rest, they just keep on working. You can expose the lies, you can expose these guys. But see these pastors, they won't examine. And you can look for truth, but never find the truth. You won't be able, cause it's a famine. It's a famine. It's a famine indeed. Pray you will search the scriptures. And run from wolves that are fleecing the flock. Run from channels like TVN and the Word Network. Yeah.